All right. Welcome to Journey Church. I'm Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, pastor Sean and Becca are celebrating their 23rd anniversary this weekend. So yeah, yeah. So before we move on, were any of you just blown away by that time of worship like I was? I mean, it's so awesome. It's interesting because we live in, as Christians, we live in kind of two worlds at once. And times like that, it's like we're stepping over into the reality of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And I mean, you can just sense the presence and the power of God coming close in those times. And it just makes me look more and more and more forward to eternity with God. Um, but today we're going to talk a little bit about how we can have some of that reality right here. But before we do that, um, I want to, I don't know if you guys point, uh, pay any attention or not to the announcement slides that uh, we run at the beginning of the service. Uh, it, it'd be good if you did. I mean, there's, you know, we have important things that come up and things like that. But there's this one slide. Have you seen the uh, cell, uh, silence your cell phone slide? So I, I was going to just point that out because a few weeks ago, actually, I think it was the last time I spoke, um, I had a battle between uh, what I was saying and a Guns N' Roses ringtone. And I think it was Sweet Child of Mine. Um, and uh, it was a tough battle. I persevered and I won. It finally stopped ringing. But uh, yeah, if, if you would, I would appreciate that. But don't put your phone away because I know how it is now. It's like, you know, most of you, like I, when I read my Bible this morning, I read it on my phone. And so if you need to use your phone to look up scripture, if you need to take notes on your phone, that's fine. And even beyond that, we like to encourage you to... Um, uh, interact with social media here. You know, you can check in when you get here. You can put quotes up on social media. You can take pictures and put those up. We encourage all of that. And so, to lead by example, I've never done this before except I did it last night. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a picture of you guys. So get ready to smile. Here we go. Big picture. I think I've got you in there. Everybody move in. No, I'm just kidding. All right. There we go. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll see that uh, soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I zoomed in right on. No. So let's pray before we get going here. Father, we thank you, Lord. Right now, God, we're still, I know I still feel the uh, electricity of your presence, God. Lord, we still feel the tangible touch of your Holy Spirit, of your power and your love. And, and God, we want, to ex we want to know how to dig deeper into that, how to step deeper into the reality of your kingdom, the reality of heaven here on earth, Lord God. So, Lord, help us to just have open hearts, open ears, open eyes, to hear what your word says, and let our hearts be good soil, Lord God, that receives your word and bears fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are still in the Won't You Be My Neighbor series. And I don't know about you guys, I have gotten a lot 
out of this series. These different messages uh, that Pastor Sean has preached, um, I, I, every week there's something that just kind of catches a hold of me. And so we're talking about how connections and relationships really tie us in uh, in a strong way into the kingdom of God. And so we're going to continue on with that. Pastor Sean spoke a few weeks ago about family. And I want to talk about family today too, but I want to zoom out a little bit. And rather than looking at, you know, your nuclear family, father, son, mother, daughter, brother, sister, all of that, I want to look at the family of God. And so we're going to take a look at that today because the truth of that reality can sometimes get lost in your situations and your circumstances. Everybody's got stuff going on in their life. Some of it's good stuff, some of it's not so good. But those things can potentially kind of cloud the truth of the reality that we are in the family of God. So I want to try to bring some perspective to that. Because I really believe, I really believe that everything, everything boils down to identity and perspective. Now you can say that a different way or you can kind of repackage that but no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is you're experiencing, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you can trace that back down to identity and perspective. And it's so important because if you lose touch with these two things or you lose, you lose a grip on these two things, then you'll start to drift. So the way that you view this life, the way that you view this life has a tremendous influence on what you believe is possible. Your perspective. I could say it this way. Your perspective will frame your experience. Your perspective will frame your experience. Now, it won't determine your experience. You still have to act. You still have to do. You still have to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. But your perspective will frame your experience. It will set the boundaries for what is possible for you. You know, that's why Jesus, when he was talking to people about basically an anxiety or a fear for how to survive, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? His response to that was first, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First. Because it's from that context it's from that perspective that we should be seeing everything else. So it's so important to have the right perspective. We just got back from vacation uh, a few weeks ago, and it was an awesome vacation. Um, we went to Mount Rushmore. We went to Yellowstone. We'd never been to Yellowstone before. It was really cool. And it was snowing. And I know I'm probably in the minority here. I like the cold weather, I like the snow, so it was kind of cool to go and, and get a little bit of that again. But when we were at Mount Rushmore, now I've been to Mount Rushmore a couple times before, but uh, one of the things that I didn't, for whatever reason, experience or realize is, you know when you show up there, how many, by the way, how many of you guys have been to Mount Rushmore? Just curious. Okay, pretty good amount of you. So you know that when you go there to look at the monument, there's the big viewing platform, right? 
out in front of the gift shop. And that's what I always did the other two times that I went. I just, you know, oh, there it is. It's so awesome, you know. And this time when we went, we went down. There's a little trail that leads down up, right up against the mountain, the monument. And, it, and at various points along this trail, they have created these viewing areas or these vantage points where from this particular spot, you see this particular, you know, you can see George Washington from here. But if you go over to this spot, it's set up in just a certain way so that you're looking at Abraham Lincoln, you know. It's like they cut the trees a certain way and it kind of frames that, that face. In fact, I've got a picture here. There we are. We're looking right up Washington's nose, right there. <laughs> but that's, that was taken from this little alcove that was cut out from the trees so that when you stepped out and you looked up, you're looking at George Washington. So it's like you got to choose, this was cool, you got to choose your perspective. You could go down there and I could choose the George Washington thing and then they had a plaque up there that, you know, had some information and all that. Or I could go back to the big viewing area and I could see the big picture. And it works the same way in our life. We can choose our perspective and open up our lives to the possibilities of the kingdom of God. And a kingdom perspective, I remember I said that I think everything boils down to identity and perspective. A kingdom perspective will lead you to understand your kingdom identity. So that's what I want to talk about here today is this understanding of who you are in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. So that's the first question we need to answer is who are you? Who are you? Do you see yourself through the Father's eyes? Now I know this. I know that God knows who you are. And I also know that the devil knows who you are. And the Bible says that even creation knows who you are. There's a scripture that talks about how creation knows who you are. But you need to know who you are. And so I have a, just a real short video I want to play to dig a little bit deeper into this. Let's play the video. Okay, turn to Romans 8, verse 14. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. You've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, which, which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, listen, if we are children of God, you've got to get this, if we are children of God. Listen, don't pass it by like something you've read a million times. If you're a child of the person who's God, <laughs> then you are heirs. Heirs also. Heirs of God. <laughs> Fellow heirs with Christ. And if deeds you suffered with him, so that you may be also glorified with him. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory 
of the children of God. For we know that all of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. What's he saying? You know what he's saying? He's saying that the devil knows who you are. And God knows who you are. Creation knows who you are. It's only you who don't know who the heck you are. The devil knows who you are. God knows who you are. Even creation knows who you are. You need to know who you are. You need to have that realization, that revelation. And we get our identity through the Word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. Now, I like books. I like to read books a lot. I like to watch and listen to messages and podcasts. I just, I, that's just kind of the way I work. I like to absorb information, and uh, that's just kind of one of the ways that I think, I guess. But I've learned this, that even if I read a good book, and even if I hear a good message, I listen to a good podcast, my identity comes from the Word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's where I get my identity. That's where I understand who I am. And uh, we have to guard against any effort to rob us of our identity. And I'm telling you this because we live in a world and in a culture that will again and again and again, maybe you don't realize it, maybe hundreds of times a day, will try to give you a counter message to who your identity is, who you are, who the Bible says, who God says you are. We are bombarded with it, and constantly we, we hear things that tell us something contrary to that. We have to guard against it. And we do have an enemy, and the devil will go after your identity. That is his game. That is his play. That's what he does. You know, if the devil could kill you, you'd be dead, right? You wouldn't be here. He obviously can't do that. He doesn't have the power or the authority to take you out. He doesn't have the power or the authority to materialize in front of you and beat you up. He can't do that. If he could, he would. He can't. But all he can do and all he does do is he comes at you with lies to undermine the truth of God's word about who you are. You know what happened to Jesus, right? Jesus was baptized and then filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he went away into the wilderness to seek God, to pray, to fast. And the enemy followed him out into the wilderness. And he, he didn't take Jesus out because he couldn't do that. But what did he do? He spoke lies or introduced questions to Jesus to try to undermine his identity. So in Matthew 4 verse 3, Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And that didn't work. And then in verse 6, he says, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down because the Bible says, because the devil can quote scripture to you. The Bible says if you fall, then angels will come and catch you. 
And then he tries a slightly different tactic. In verse 9, he says, if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says, be gone, worship only the Lord your God. Why was that his tactic? Because if he could, if he could undermine or get Jesus to bow in the area of his identity, then the battle would be won before it even started. And what happened right before this time of prayer and fasting for Jesus? The voice of the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. And the next thing the enemy comes along and says is, if you are the son of God. The devil will go after your identity. Just like he did with Jesus. It's his one basic play. And you and I deal with the exact same thing. Think about it. If you fail or fall short in some way, because I know we all do, what is it that you hear in your head? Is it, oh, this is what I've done? Or is it that you actually hear, this is who I am? I'm a this, I'm a loser, I'm a drunk, I'm a failure, I'm a whatever. It's an attack on your identity, on who you are. So, what we're talking about here is your identity, not your history. Because there's a difference. Your future is not chained to your failure. Let me say that again. Your future is not chained to your failure. Your destiny and your purpose are tied to your identity, not your past. You know, you may have failed in a bunch of minor, insignificant ways all through your life. Or you may have had one or two massive failures that had an enormous impact on people around you that is a hard thing to carry forward. But I'm telling you, those things have zero impact on who you are. They have zero impact on your identity. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. Now, you can enter a family by birth. You can enter a family by adoption. And the thing that is so incredible is that we have entered the family of God both ways, both ways. Read John chapter 3, and Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again, about the experience that we have when our dead spirit is actually reborn, and we're born into new life. You must be born again. So we enter by birth. But then Paul talks again and again about how we are adopted in and how God actually chose us and said, I see you and I want you and adopted us into his family. So in every way possible, we are a part of God's family. He's our father and we're his children. 
And the power of that truth has the potential to change the way you experience life. It really does. If you realize that truth, or another way to say that is, if you make that truth real, then it has the potential to change the way you experience life. We have to see ourselves as the Father sees us, as sons and daughters. And you know, you may struggle with this thing, you may have a failure in that area, but like I said, that has zero impact on who you are, on, on your status as a child of God. So, I like to use logic. And so I'm thinking about this, and it's in, I'm thinking, if we are all children of God, if you're a child of God, if I'm a child of God, then I guess we're all related, for better or worse, right? I mean, this is, we are in the Won't You Be My Neighbor series still, so it's not all about you, it's about others. And so my next question, and my, this is my last question really, is who are your brothers and sisters? And do you see others through the Father's eyes? Pastor Sean's been referring back week, through, week by week to the story of the Good Samaritan. And that is really an excellent story to illustrate how God may put people in your life or in your path that's at the right place and at the right time that may not look like you, that may not have the same background as you, that may not have necessarily voted for all the same people you voted for, that may not like the same music you like or not like music at all, God forbid. But you may, at certain times and seasons, have a connection with somebody that is more significant than anybody you are physically related to through the kingdom of God. And that's something we've got to be aware of. Psalm 68 says this. I love this. This is powerful. To the fatherless, he is a father. To the widow, he is a champion friend. To the lonely, he makes them part of a family. To the lonely, he makes them part of a family. What's the family we're talking about? The family of God. The natural reality of your physical family, father, son, wife, brother, sister, husband, is a prophetic portrayal of a greater reality, your heavenly, eternal family. I'm not saying that family's not good. <laughs> you understand? I mean, I love my family. They're my favorite people. But that family, those blood connections, that is a prophetic portrayal of a greater reality your heavenly or eternal family. The kingdom of God is meant to be experienced as family. That's how it's designed. That's how it works. You could try to get it to work some other way, but that's not how God designed it. It's meant to be experienced as family. In fact, you can't really have the kingdom 
apart from family. You could cut yourself off, you could isolate yourself, you could be some kind of a Lone Ranger Christian, and you may still have some success, but there are certain aspects of the nature of God that you will never experience apart from relationships. I could put it this way, there are some aspects of the goodness of God, the goodness of God, that you will never know outside of relationships with others. Because it's designed to be experienced that way. So family, since we're kind of starting to understand right now that that's what we are, family can be a wonderful, messy, awkward thing. You know it's true. And so I have one more video to kind of prove the point. So let's go ahead and roll that video. Welcome to Awkward Family Photos, the show that celebrates those uncomfortable family moments. I'm Mike. I'm Doug. And this week we're going to be talking about that special time the whole family gets together, puts on matching outfits, and piles on top of each other. This is the, the Family, family Portrait, Portrait Episode. Family brings joy in our lifetime, together forever we walk through this world hand in hand. All right, so let's look at some photos. We want to show you guys what makes a family portrait so awkward. First of all, the pose. Okay, you've got the lean. The oh, what a feeling. That's right, you've got the arm shelf. You've got the evolution of man. Of course, you've got the pylon. And topping it all off, denim. Denim. Matchy, matchy. That's right. We share the same last names as our family. We all look alike. Why do we feel the need to wear matching outfits in these photos? Yeah, it's very clear that we're related. It's not like we actually have to wear shirts that say who we are in the family. I know who mom is. I know who dad is. I know we're on vacation together. Yeah, we're in the same room. I know we're not going to mess with anyone in this family. You don't have to no. wear the whole dojo outfits. Well, yeah. they're all taking a karate class That's together, right. so it's clear that they're related. Next is just really being honest in the moment, looking miserable. That's right. Maybe your son has decided to ruin the perfect photo that you had planned. And maybe you are so upset by it that you actually grab him by the face while the photo is <laughs> being taken. Maybe there's so much drama in this room. Yeah, maybe there's, there's so much tension, so much drama, that there is literally an elephant in the room. And then there's the opposite, okay? There's the opposite of looking miserable, which is, of course, looking too happy and doing something that is affectionately known as the oversmile. That's right. Next is props, okay? So this is, it could be anything. It's just something that sort of draws your attention away from the photo and makes the photo uh, uncomfortable. So it could be... Dustbusters. A bunch of dustbusters. Yes. A turkey leg. It could be a cigarette being smoked by an 11-year-old boy in the background. Dolls. So, so creepy. A wicker plant. Wicker, in general. Wicker is awkward, the, just the word wicker. Lastly, you know, this one's kind of hard to, it's hard to sort of to boil down. What is really happening in these photos? Yeah, why is there so much room on this couch? It, it seems like a perfectly nice couch. I'd like to sit on it. Very comfortable looking. Why does this guy have an axe tan on his stomach? Why are there two dads in this photo? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Why does this family freak me out? Why does this family freak me out even more? And why is this family sitting on top of the ant? Okay, we'll give you a second. I know you've got pictures like that. I've got pictures like that. 
But when you're in a family, you grow together. You experience life together. Um, you may have people that you knew during those awkward stages and from way back, and then you see them at Walmart or something like that, and you're kind of like, oh, man, I hope they don't see me. But then you might have people that you knew from way back that you have maintained a connection with the entire time, and they have gone through the awkward stages with you, and, uh, you know, you share things through seasons and times that pass, and uh, I've got somebody like that that uh, you actually saw in here today. So Sean Landers, the drummer here, um, we've known each other since day one. And when I mean day one, I mean our parents were good friends when I was born. He's four months older than me, so there was a little bit of time there. <laughs> but I mean, our parents were friends on day one, you know, and so we grew up together as little kids and uh, went to church together. Um, all through that time, got into music at the same time when we were both 13 years old, and got into worship ministry at the same time, played on, we played in our youth band together in the youth group, we played in worship teams all through the years, and of course he plays here now. And so we have gone through those awkward stages. There was a four-year period of time there where we had a Christian band that you will never hear the music from. <laughs> I promise you, if I can get Sean to agree to that, then you'll never hear the music. But, uh, but so there's that connection that lasted through all those times and seasons, and I feel like I have to prove it to you, so let's put a picture up here. So that's me in the fireman hat, and that's Sean taking out the can of Pepsi there behind me. Remember when Pop came in those uh, more sturdy cans where you like pop the top off and it actually comes off and you throw it away? Yeah, that's back in that day. And then I told you about the band. Here's a picture here. Okay, here it is. Here it is. I have no pride. I have no shame. So that's Sean in the middle right there. You, could, you can kind of tell that's him. I mean, times have changed and all that. That's me on the left. Go ahead. That's fine. Give you permission. I like to tell, I like to tell people that God pays attention to the choices you make with your hair. And that if you make irresponsible choices, he takes it away. And so I'm living proof of that. So I have, a, I have some other pictures while we're up and going here that I want to go ahead and throw up on the screen. So that's, okay, so you guys remember Nathan Ewing? He preached a couple weeks ago. Okay. And... Uh, so that's young Nathan there. And, you know, I was, when I first saw this picture, I'm like, I, how's anybody going to know that's Nathan if I don't tell him? But you guys know that when Nathan smiles, there are prominent dimples here. And you can still see him, even at a young age. They are, they are right there. Okay, so the next picture, I'm trying to put people up here that you may, I know not everybody knows everybody, but you guys know who this is. It's, it's more obvious, that's Becky. And, of course, that's Tom. Tom preached a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to make a prediction that that was from the 80s. So um, let's put the next shot up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my wife. 
circa 15 years old. Every, you know, those of you who are of a certain age, you remember the glamour shots. And I, I pretty much think glamour shots are cheesy and hokey, but I think my wife pulled it off. That's a, she, she made it work. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, any guesses? Yeah, that's me and, and my sister, Becca. And the funny thing is, is, of course, that was like one of those Kmart uh, free photos. You get, you get four free photos, but you have to pay for the prints, and my parents didn't pay for the prints, so we just got... And so, you know, they added the sparkly stars and stuff like that. And the funny thing is, is I showed that picture last week to um, uh, Sean and Becca's son, Sean, Michael. And he said, my mom looks like one of those puppets that you put on your knee. <laughs> and she does. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the old technology or something, but why there's such a huge difference. We're only four years apart in age, and she's so much smaller than me. And maybe it's a photography thing or something. Okay, I got one last picture. I call this the Phillips Brothers Pyramid of Awesomeness, okay? And I'm not going to tell you who's, you know, f most of you, most of you know four of those boys. And I, I do want to say that the one on the top, that is not a mullet, that's a shadow. So I, I, was, I was kind of asked to say that. But I'll just, can any of you guess which one's Pastor Sean? Second on the right, that's, that's Pastor Sean. So, um, a very young Pastor Sean. So, family, it can be messy, it can be awkward. We go through seasons and, and times together. We go through situations together. But when we have an awareness that we are brothers and sisters, we share this bond in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, then we actually draw strength from each other. It's how it's intended to work. There's this interesting thing that happens that I've been just, it's just intrigued me for many, many years. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is really getting busy with his ministry. And this is actually, he heals the man with the withered hand. He casts out tons of demons, and this crowd starts to gather and build and build and grow and grow. And actually, the Bible says it presses in on him so much, it's almost like a mob, that it's, it threatens to crush him. And so we pick up the story in verse 20, and it says, then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, and they were saying, he is out of his mind. When you started following Jesus, I'm just curious, you don't have to put your hand up, but did anybody in your family say, they are out of their mind? You know, many of you have family members who, who don't get it, who don't know the Lord, and we're believing for them to come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, in the following verses, Jesus deals with the Pharisees on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And then this whole thing with his family coming and trying to seize him, we pick this up again in verse 31. And it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. 
And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them and said, Who are my mothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whosoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister, my brother and sister and mother. Okay, I want to just pause for a second and I want to pray again. Let's pray. Father, right now, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you would just give us the capacity to see deeper into this truth. Give us the capacity, Lord. Give us the spiritual eyes, the understanding to be able to see our brothers and sisters. Lord, we know it's a reality. In our minds, we understand this is true. But Lord, I pray that in our hearts, we would actually see each other as your children, as our sisters and our brothers. Right now, Lord, we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Because what I want to talk about is something that you probably already understand. It's not like some new crazy truth that I'm trying to reveal to you for the first time. But it's something that you just, maybe you haven't thought about very much, and maybe it hasn't settled in uh, deep. Because natural family, your physical nuclear family, is a relationship tailor-made by God for this time and this place. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm not taking anything away from it. It's a wonderful thing. But it is tailor-made by God for this time and this place. And those relationships, assuming that they're all in unity on, you know, being born again, all children of God, those relationships will change in eternity. They won't end. They'll never end. But they will change. And... We will relate to each other as brothers and sisters, children of our Father. Have you ever thought about the significance? Pastor Sean just preached on this a couple weeks ago uh, where Jesus was talking about the Lord's Prayer. And they said, how should we pray? And Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven. He didn't say pray like this, my Father or just, Father, hallowed be your name. He said, pray, our Father. There's a unity in the family of God that we shouldn't overlook. I t- I've told this story before, but it's been a long time, and I feel like I need to tell it again. So there was a point in my life and our family's life where it was really, really important to get some direction from God on some choices we had to make. I mean, you need direction from God every day. You need to be hearing from God. But there was a point where we absolutely needed to know an answer. And basically what had happened is uh, I had been on staff at a church, and we left that church, and... I got to a place where I felt like I just I need to start a career. I need to get going on a clear path 
and, you know, support my family and all that in a better way. And so I had started down this road, and then God spoke to me crystal clear and said, I want you to serve me in this way. I want you to serve me, you know, full-time or vocationally, whatever you want to call that. But I heard God say, I wasn't really even expecting that, but, I, but he said it. But he didn't say anything else. <laughs> and so I knew that that's what he wanted. I knew that that was his will, but I didn't know really how to move forward with it. And so I prayed, and I sought God, and I prayed, and I sought God, and I read my Bible, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I did all those things, and I just didn't get anything. And so I decided, we were living up in St. Joe at the time, I decided I'm going to come down to, somewhere down to Kansas City, I'm going to check into a hotel with my Bible and my notebook and my guitar, and I am going to pray until I get an answer from God. Because everybody knows the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And so I was going to force God to tell me what I wanted to know. And you can all guess how well that worked out. So I'm there and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm seeking God and I'm storming the gates of heaven and I'm, you know, I'm just going for it until late at night. I end up going to bed that night with a splitting headache. I wake up in the morning and I'm praying again and I'm reading my Bible and I mean, I am just getting stone cold silence. Not a word. Not a, not a tingly presence of God. Nothing. Zero. And so I get all the way to the time where it's time to check out, and I'm putting things away. And I remember this so vividly. Uh, I was actually in the process of putting my guitar in the case. And at that point, I, my praying had kind of just turned to complaining, Right? I mean, at that point, instead of praying, I was more just saying things like, God, you're the one that asked me to do this thing, and you're the one who said to do this, and yet you aren't telling me what to do. Here I am. Send me. I mean, you know, and and I'm kind of, I've got that attitude. And I remember saying specifically this statement, I have given you everything. And as soon as I said that, I heard him speak like crystal clear. And he said, you have not given me everything. And simultaneously, in my mind's eye, I saw my family right in front of my face. And I realized at that moment that I had made an idol out of my family. And that without realizing it, I had so elevated the idea of family to this point. Because everybody knows family is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but I had so elevated it that it had found itself in a place higher than God. And I had been willing to give God anything. I was willing to move. I was willing to go anywhere, do anything. But I had made that off limits to God. And so as soon as I realized that, as soon as he revealed it to me, I instantly dropped on my knees. I repented. And I said, God, I give you Sarah, I give you Kelsey, I give you Kayla, Haley, David, Kylie. They are yours. And when I did that, he showed me something that I had never really understood before in that moment. And I understood that while I am blessed to be able to be a husband and a father, that my role is to have the honor and the privilege to lead 
guide, pastor, shepherd those six people through their journey into a relationship with their father. That's my role. And that the fruit of that reward is that I get to share eternity with them, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, in the presence of our Father. And God gave me a kingdom perspective on family in that moment, and it's changed me from that day on. So again, I said this earlier, but the natural reality of your physical family is a prophetic portrayal of a greater reality your heavenly family, your eternal family. So I'm kind of wrapping it up here. And I like to get practical. It's great to be abstract or thinking about ideas, but it doesn't really matter if, it's, if you can't get practical and you can't apply it. So how does this work? Are we just supposed to be one big happy family now? And it's, it's just that easy? Because you know it's not that easy. Galatians 5.13 says this. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Remember, we're talking about a shift in perspective and identity, not looking at things in the natural. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. For love completes the law of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. Verse 15. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I love them in Christ, but I do not like them? Not you, but others say that, right? I love them in Christ, but I do not like them. Let me just say that it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. That's not an option in the family of God. And so, well, you're saying I have to like everybody? But I don't get along with that person. Uh, they don't get me. Our personalities clash. Um, that's just the way it is between me and them. And that may be true in the natural. That may be true. But it's not true in the kingdom. God wants his kids to get along. And he gave us special grace to be able to make that happen so that there are no excuses. It's a wonderful supernatural cure for all of our personality quirks and limitations. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, picking it up in 22, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, let me tell you this. When you have two people that cannot seem to ever work it out, 
it goes back to the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit, let's just make it simple. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. It's the proof that the Spirit is working in you, the demonstration. When you have the Holy Spirit in you working, free to do what He wants to do, then these things, love, joy, peace, patience, will come out as a result. It's the result of the Spirit. And you could say, well, I'm not naturally a loving person. But that's kind of the whole point. Whoever said you had to live by your natural limitations? You know, there is a huge diversity and variety of people and personalities and backgrounds. But we're all learning to become like Jesus. And if we are unified in these areas of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that, then so be it. If you have kids, you don't like to see your kids fight, right? God wants his kids to get along. And he gave us the fruit of the Spirit to help make that happen. The way I look at it is like this. We're all kind of like oddly shaped puzzle pieces that don't fit well. And those fruits of the Spirit act as like an adhesive that fills in all those cracks and odd shapes and binds us together. Because even if I'm not naturally someone who would get along with you in a natural way, if I've got love coming out of me and joy coming out of me and peace surrounding me, and patience, and gentleness, and control of myself, and you do too, we're going to fit together. We're going to relate. There's going to be something there. So, Pastor Sean made the point last week that we should not assign labels to people based on their circumstances. And that point, more than anything else that he said that week, for me, just absolutely jumped out, and I wrote it down. And it's so true because we have to be very careful not to start assigning labels based on what we see in the natural. You don't know what is in the heart of God for that person. You don't know what God sees when he looks at that person. You may have, you may have categorized somebody based on what you've seen, what they've done, how they responded to things. But God may have that person on a path that takes them somewhere awesome that you or me would never have thought of. And so our job, and I want to close with this, our job as brothers and sisters in the family of God is to prophetically call each other up into our kingdom identity. Not call each other out. Right. Call each other up into our kingdom identity. That's our, God, that's our job. So, remember, this comes back to identity. Who are you? Who does God say that you are? Who are your brothers and sisters? And uh, I actually 
to help you out with that, to illustrate that, I had a family portrait made up. So let's go ahead and, ah, there it is. You're like, why was he taking a picture at the beginning? That's your family. Look at that. That's your family. Those are your brothers and sisters. That's one of the reasons why I think that weekend services are so cool, because it's kind of like a big family reunion. We get together as brothers and sisters. We spend time with our dad, and it's a special time. But connecting back as, the, as we get ready to worship one last time, connecting back to that theme of let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Pastor Sean spoke on that a few weeks ago too. You know, we are all either thermostats or thermometers. What I mean by that is we are either influenced by our surroundings or we are an influence on our surroundings. And if you get a hold of this idea of the family of God, brothers and sisters, and if you start relating that way, you actually bring heaven, the atmosphere of heaven here to earth. Something of heaven shows up when we interact and relate as brothers and sisters in God's family. There's that verse that says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Let's stand up. I want to pray for you guys. Our Father. Lord, we say our Father because you're not just my Father. You're our Father. Lord, right now, God, let there be a a bond between us. Let there be a unity that transcends background. Let there be a unity that transcends politics. Let there be a unity that transcends personality. And Lord, let us be bound together as brothers and sisters in your family. God, give us eyes to see that we are children of God together. We come to worship you. We come to thank you, God, for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name.